speak to us today. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting to read at verse 1. It says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Everybody say, we faint not. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who has commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Bless the Lord. I want to minister this morning from the, about the subject of pressure. Pressure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your presence and for everybody that's here. And we just pray, God, that you would strengthen us today, that you would encourage us today. Lord God, that regardless of what's going on and what's surrounding us, Lord, that we would have hope as we've already heard, Lord, that we would cling to that hope, Lord Jesus. Lord God, minister to us today, I pray by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Most of us understand the idea of what pressure is and various forms of pressure. Those of you young people that are at school, particularly in high school, know what it is to feel the pressure of an exam, particularly if there are expectations placed upon you to perform well in those exams. There is a certain pressure that we feel. In our homes, sometimes there is pressure. Have you ever been in somebody's house when there's been tension between a husband and a wife, there's there's no visible change in the atmosphere, but there's a pressure that exists that nobody can point to, but everybody is conscious of. It's a form of pressure. There are jobs, different careers that can be very high-pressure jobs. If you are involved at the, the very serious end of the medical industry and you're a surgeon and you have somebody's life in your hands, literally on an operating table, a mistake or an error could have a very drastic outcome and you are under a serious amount of pressure to do the right thing. I want somebody, if I need surgery, I want whoever's doing that to take that pressure very seriously because it's important. One of the highest pressure jobs I believe there is in the world is that of an air traffic controller. People who work at the airports whose job it is to guide the aircraft as which one should come into land and which one should take off and trying to make sure that all of that happens smoothly because there are no lanes in the sky. 
There is no white lines up there in the clouds for you to just stay in like you do with your car. Now, pilots would tell us they're probably some sort of system, but, but it's not visible. And that air traffic controller has got to be aware of every aircraft within range of his airport and to keep them at different altitudes so that they don't crash into each other and to bring them in and out at different times so they don't crash into each other. And we see reports on the news when there are planes that pass too close to one another. I'm glad I've done an awful lot of flying in my life, but I'm glad I've never looked out the window and seen another aircraft because that would freak me out. And the air traffic controller's job is to prevent that from happening. Now, that might not be too hard in a little country town where there's a couple of different crop dusters flying up in the air, but in the major airports of the world, JFK, Singapore, Heathrow, and other airports that we, Sydney even, there are so many flights coming and going at any given hour of the day, and it is those, that person, or maybe it's a few people, that office, it's their job to keep them all separate from each other. And every one of those planes holds hundreds of humans, human lives. And somebody has to go to work, and even if they're having a bad day, you know, there are some jobs you have a bad day, you have a bad day, you go home, you start again the next day. An air traffic controller doesn't have the luxury of just having a bad day at work. Had a bad day today, lost six planes, oh well, we'll start again tomorrow. You don't have that luxury, it's a high pressure environment. And they say it's, a, it's an industry where people don't stay in that job for long periods of time because of the amount of pressure that they come under. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth that we just read and he spoke of some of the challenges that we will face as Christians. He said we will be troubled. He said we will be perplexed. We will be persecuted and we will be cast down. But he also said that we would not be distressed. We would not be in despair. We would not be forsaken. And we would not be destroyed. So even though he did tell us some things that we might not want to hear, he let us know that those things would not conquer us if we trusted in the Lord. And he said in verse 10 and 11 of that passage that through these experiences that we should manifest or declare the life that Jesus has given to us. I want you to know this morning that I believe that living for Jesus, like the old song says, is the best life of all. Serving and following Him. There is no life that compares with living for Jesus. There is no love. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is all of the things that He provides for us. There is nothing. This is the best life. You may not live in that 1% that earns so much money. Mind you, in Australia, we're probably in the top few percent in the world, all of us. But living for Jesus is the best life of all. And I wouldn't trade the life I have in Jesus for anything this world has to offer. Amen. But having said that, anybody who tells you that it will all be smooth sailing and trouble-free and just one sunny day after another is reading from a different Bible to me. Paul didn't say, you shall be blessed with riches and favor. And then the next day, you shall be wealthy and wise. And the day after that, it just goes from goodness to greatness. He said, you will be troubled. You will be perplexed. But he said, don't give up. Hang on. It's going to be okay. Amen. In the 14th chapter of the book of Acts, it tells us that Paul came to a place. It was in... He came to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, and it says that he confirmed the souls of the disciples. 
In other words, he strengthened and encouraged them and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. These passages of Scripture are very hard to correlate with prosperity preachers. But Paul said, through tribulation, we must enter into the kingdom of God. Paul knew what he was talking about. He wasn't just saying, well, they taught me this at Bible school. I heard this is how it's got to be. So I'm telling you, if you read that chapter, it's only three or four verses beforehand where he was stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. And the church members came around and stood looking at him and thought, I think he's dead. No, I think he's still breathing. No, I think he's dead. And Bible scholars argue about whether or not he actually died. The point is he was stoned to near death at least and left for dead, and they got him up and brought him back into the city, and he went on to the next place and encouraged the people to trust God, to continue in the faith, because we're going to have tribulation. He wasn't just speaking from head knowledge. He stood, whether it was in someone's house or in the church or down in the marketplace, when he ministered to those people, he still had bruises, I believe. He probably had fractures. He probably wasn't particularly attractive, looked like he'd been beat up. But he said, hang on. Because there will come tribulation. The word tribulation in the New Testament is translated from a Greek word meaning pressure. Pressure. When you take something, like a, for example, an empty soft drink can, and you, you step on that thing, and you crush it with your foot, the reason that the can crushes is that the pressure that's being applied to the can is greater than the pressure within the can. The can doesn't have any internal pressure, and so it's quite easier for us to crush it. If you were to get an aerosol can, please don't try this at home, but, and try to do the same thing, you would have a lot harder time trying to crush that can because it is a pressurized container. That's why the moment you hit that little button on the top, the contents come out, because the, the contents are stored under pressure. And it will resist. I mean, I'm not saying that you couldn't crush a pressurized aerosol can. Please don't, because we don't want to visit you on the Burns unit. But there is a difference in the pressure within the object that resists the pressure that's being applied. Amen. You know, when, if you've ever seen any of the documentaries or, or footage of some of the, the weird-looking creatures that live at the very deep parts of the ocean, you know, we, we, we talk about the Great Barrier Reef and all the beautiful fish that we have, and it's true. There's some incredible colors in fish. But when they are able to send those special submarines and deep-sea vehicles right down into the deepest parts of the sea, there are some creatures you don't see in the tourist shots of the Great Barrier Reef. There's some ugly-looking fish, weird-looking things with bulging eyes and light bulbs hanging off their heads and big chompers. and They're not attractive. But those fish... The physical makeup of those fish is that they have such a, an internal pressure in their bodies that they are able to resist the pressure of the water at those great depths. Now, you and I can't go down that far, not naturally anyway. We can't go very deep before we begin to feel pressure, usually in your ears. If you've ever done any diving or tried to swim in a really deep place, the pressure comes on your ears and you have to go back up. Those fish can survive because there is an internal pressure in their bodies that is greater than the pressure that's being applied to them. So much so that it's difficult for scientists to study them 
because when they try to bring them to the surface, the fish basically explode because all of that internal pressure is no longer being contained by the water pressure. So that highly pressurized guppy or whatever it is comes to the surface and the fish blows up. It's not a very attractive picture, but that's basically what happens. They have trouble being able to study them. You see, pressure in a basic scientific sense, and I get scared when I venture into science because my daughter knows more about science than I do and she's very quick to let me know the error of my ways. But pressure in a basic scientific sense is an amount of force divided by the area that force is applied to. That's how they measure pressure. The amount of force divided by the area. Come here, Cheech, you're going to be my guinea pig today. Come up here with me. Now, if I place this on top of Chichi's head and I begin to push down, he can feel the pressure. But the amount of force, I'm not going to hurt you, it's okay. The amount of force that I'm applying is spread over the whole of the folder. So because the amount of force that I'm pushing down on his head, even though it's hard and now I'm making him a bit uncomfortable, it's spread across this whole object. If I was to take my pen, and I'm not going to do it, relax. This is not a magic trick. And apply the same amount of pressure as I did to the folder, Chi-Chi's going to scream because I'm going to start to break his skin and it's stuck in his head. The same amount of pressure, the, the way he experiences that pressure is very different determining whether it's spread out or it's focused. Thanks, bro. You can sit down. It's a little bit like if somebody stands on your hand. If I was to gently stand on Chi-Chi's hand and apply a little bit of pressure, as long as I don't put too much, he'll feel that but it won't hurt him because I'm wearing a flat shoe. Now, if I got one of you ladies up here with a high heel on and you put that same high heel on his hand because all of that pressure is focused onto that little point, it's going to have a very different outcome. And that, there's, there's a spiritual application to this because as Christians, we can often handle the everyday pressure of serving God across our lives. But when something specific when something focused, when something gets personal, it gets into our homes, it gets into our families, it gets under our skin and into our hearts, that pressure can pierce and it can hurt and it can cause us to really be knocked around. You have a crisis in your family. Somebody gets a terminal illness. A loved one walks away from God. You doubt the Word of God. A leader disappoints you or fails you. Those things can knock us around because the pressure is not generalized anymore. It's localized. And that's the difference. We're, most of us can handle the day-in, day-out walking with the Lord. Yes, we resist temptation. Yes, we stand against the sins of this world. But when something comes, like an arrow at a bullseye, and hits, we begin to stagger because that pressure becomes focused. Amen. Jesus said in John 16 and 33, he said, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. He said, In the world you shall have tribulation. He said, But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The Apostle John wrote to us, and many of you can quote this verse in 1 John 4 and 4, he said, Ye are of God, little children. 
and have overcome them because why? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, sinful humanity surrenders to sin very easily. It yields to temptation. It makes the bad decision. It follows the pathway of sin because there's nothing within them that can resist the pressure. But when you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, suddenly there is something that is within us that is greater than that which is in the world. And when that pressure comes, if you try to resist it in your own strength, you'll crumple like an empty can of Coke. But if you walk in the power of the Holy Ghost, there is something in you that says, I'm greater than that. I can resist that. What's in me is stronger. And the verse of Scripture does not say up to a certain point. It simply says, whatever the world has, the spirit that is within us is greater than that. So we need to have confidence that like those ugly little puffer fish at the bottom of the sea, no matter how much pressure comes against us from this world, no matter how much tribulation that we feel like we're facing, if we will look to Him, there is something in us that is able to resist, that is able to say, this is hard. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm under the pump, but greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even when that pressure gets pointed, even when it gets into your home and into your heart and into your mind, if you will allow the Spirit of God to renew you and to refresh you and you will walk by faith and not by sight, He's still greater. Hallelujah. When I take my eyes off him, you see, the Bible tells us that the disciples were crossing the sea in the middle of the night. There was a storm, and they saw Jesus walking on the water. They were scared, understandably. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And the Lord said, come. And Peter stood out upon the waves. Now, scientifically, the weight of the human body, the density of a man's body is heavier and more dense than the water. And so scientifically, he should have sunk. But supernaturally, somehow God, whether, whether he used science, whether he just went, I'm just going to hold you there, the Lord allowed there to be enough resistance that Peter did not sink in the storm. And we all know the story. The problem began when Peter looked away from Jesus and looked down at the sea and said, this should not be possible. And he began to sink and the Lord saved him. It's much the same when we go through tribulation. As long as you'll keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, even things that should not be possible become possible. Even situations that should consume us, we are able to endure. Because greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Amen. Bless the Lord. We can have a greater internal strength and pressure. The Apostle Paul said in our text in 2 Corinthians 4, he said, We have this treasure in earthen vessels 
that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So if you're going to be able to endure temptation, it's going to have to be his power, not yours. It's not about the vessel. The vessel doesn't have enough strength to resist. The vessel doesn't have enough power to endure. The vessel is made of clay. It's fragile. It's feeble. It's flawed. But there's something in the vessel. There's a power that is within the vessel that will cause us to be able to give him glory because people will look at you and say, I don't know how you went through that. I don't know how you were able to trust God. I don't know why you didn't fall to pieces and collapse in a heap. And we can say, it's not about me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's not about this vessel. It's about the treasure that's contained within this vessel. Thank you, Jesus. That's why when you come in contact with an unbeliever, if you're full of the Holy Ghost, when you interact with people that don't know Jesus, you should impact them, not the other way around. Because you have the Spirit, it should, the pressure, not in a negative sense, but the, the Holy Ghost within us should make an impression upon them. It should not be the other way around. If you mix with people that are ungodly and they impact you, you need to examine where your Holy Ghost is at. Because it ought to make a difference. People, you know, in the book of Acts it says that when they saw Peter and John and the other disciples, that they recognized they'd been with Jesus. It did not say that they recognized that these were the greatest men in town, they were the most wealthy, the most educated, they were the up and coming, they were just ordinary people. But they saw that they'd been with Jesus. That's what we need to desire. When people interact with us, there needs to be something about us that they know these are the people of Jesus. These people have something about them that is different. Amen. James 4 and 7, this verse has come up quite a bit in recent Bible studies and sermons. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why does the devil have to flee? Why does he have to flee? Because I've submitted myself, or you've submitted yourself, to the Lord. And by doing so, greater is he that is in me than the devil that comes against me. Now, I, we, you know, sometimes we, we think we all, we've all met the devil. I mean, the devil is not eternal in the sense he's not omnipresent like the Lord is. He's not everywhere at once. So if he's... In another country, he's not here. I don't understand exactly how much territory he can cover. But whether or not you come face to face with Satan himself, if you are submitted to Jesus Christ and you are filled with his spirit, it does not matter what he brings. It does not matter his method. It does not matter his deceitful techniques. As long as I'm submitted to God and I'm under the protection of the Lord and of his word and of his spirit, there's nothing he can bring that I can't endure as long as I will keep my eyes upon him. We have to be connected to the source. We have to be connected. In Matthew chapter 13, let's turn there together. We'll read this together. Matthew 13 and 20. part of the, the parable of the sower and the seed, part of the explanation. And, you know, we know the, many of us know the story of how Jesus said a certain man went out to sow and he 
sowed some seed on the wayside and some on the stony ground and some on the thorny ground and some on the good soil and, and he explained how that wherever the seed landed, depending upon the kind of surface it landed on, was directly responsible for the amount of fruit that either did come forth or didn't come forth at all. And in, in breaking that down, in verse 20, the Lord said, But he that receiveth the seed in stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy or shortly thereafter receiveth it. Hears the word of God and says, This is wonderful. I've heard the gospel. But in verse 21 it says, Yet hath he no root in himself, but dureth for a while. He, he hangs on for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises from where? Because of the world. By and by he is offended. He's offended because there isn't a strong enough connection to the source of life. The stony ground, that hardness, that, that, that soil... There's a lot of parallels we could draw, but stones do not yield. It doesn't matter how much water you pour on a rock. The rock will not grow. And you see people hosing their driveways. You feel like saying the driveway is not going to grow. No matter how much you, you put sunshine and water and fertilizer and anything else you can on a stone, a stone's going to stay a stone. Stones and soil in, in this parable represent things that need to be removed. They cannot be changed. They've got to be taken out. And you get a hard clod of earth, a big hard lump of soil, you can break that up. You can soften it. You can break it up and it can become fertile. But stones, you've got to get them out. Stones represent things that we need to get out of our lives that are hindering our ability to become mature Christians. Things that God deals with that he wants us to remove so that the seed of his word can get those roots down deep so that when tribulation comes, we will stand. Because if we are not well grounded and connected to the source, we will be offended. We'll be entrapped by sin when tribulation comes. In the Old Testament, it talks about that tree that's, that's, that's planted by the rivers of water. It talks about how we'll not see when the heat comes. It's connected to the source so well that what the environmental conditions don't have a great impact on it. We need to be more impacted by what we're connected to than what we're exposed to. If our environment dictates our outcomes, then our connection needs to be examined. Our environment will affect us. Nobody, we're not robots. When you go through a hard time, there's a reason it's called a hard time. It's not easy. But it should not toss us to and fro because we need to be connected to that source. Bless the Lord. We need to be willing to allow. And you know, here's the thing. If you've ever done any gardening, and I do everything I can to avoid it at all costs, but those of you that work in gardens, Brother John, you know you've got to get the rocks out before you can put the plants in. But then the ground has a way sometimes of when you've cleared the, and you've made the top all soft, things begin to work their way up from beneath. So, rocks and other things that you thought you'd cleared up. And when we were at the youth camp a, a little while back down there in, where was it again? Mornington, Camp Mornington. They told, one of the rules at the youth camp was that all of the young people had to wear closed-in shoes. And the reason for that was it used to be an old timber milling town. And for whatever reason, when they shut that timber mill down, rather than cart everything away, they decided it would be easier 
to dig a great big hole and bulldoze everything into the hole. So timber, steel, everything went into this hole. But the problem is, over time, bits of steel start poking out of the ground, bits of timber that haven't decomposed. And so because of the fact that, and you could, they had piles of stuff that had made its way up out of the earth. Here's the thing, when we get born again, and we repent, we, we turn that soil over. We get those rocks and we say, Lord, I don't want that in my life anymore. I don't want bitterness. I don't want unforgiveness. I don't want sin and, and fornication and, and dishonesty. And we get all those things out and the Lord plants his seed in our hearts and, and life begins to grow. But give it a little time. Give it a little time. There's some more rocks down there. Trust me, they'll come up. And then the Lord says, we need to get those up those out as well it's a mistake to think when we read this parable it's a mistake to think that this example only applies at the beginning all the way through our lives we've got to keep the rocks out to keep the roots in the junk's got to come out so the roots can go down bless the lord we know that the lord said to peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church we know that the, the Lord said, quoting in Acts chapter 2, it says, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, talking about the grave, neither did his flesh see corruption. The point is, death cannot overcome the church. Death cannot overcome the church. Humanity is afraid to die. Many people are terrified of death. They try to delay it. They try to postpone it. They try to hold it back. But all of us have an appointment that we're going to keep one day if the Lord tarries. There are not a lot of things that are guaranteed in life, but death is one of them. We cannot, we, you know, you can make a difference by living healthy and all those things. You can decide if you want to have an extra 50 years of a really boring diet, or you can enjoy 25 years of eating the good stuff. That's up to you. You can work that out for yourself. But eventually, even the super healthy people will die because all of us are going to die. But as Christians... We should not want to die, but we should not be afraid to die. The Apostle Paul said, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He said, If it's my time, I'm ready to go to be with Jesus. He said, I'm serving the Lord here. I'm doing everything I can. But when my time comes, it's not the end. It's really just the beginning. Amen. Because the thing is, the church exists here and there. There are some people that are already in the church eternal. And there are those of us that are right now waiting for our chance to get to the church eternal. But whether I live in the church now or I'm gone into glory, I'm still in the church. So even if, even if I get persecuted, even if I am martyred for the gospel, greater is he that is in me. Still, why? Because resurrection power is a part of the Holy Ghost. So even if you lose your life, he's still greater. Even if, I mean, that doesn't happen in our country, but even if we are martyred for the gospel, it's not the end. Because the Bible says if any man have, we need, if we the same spirit, I'm getting my verses mixed up, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Even if they put this carcass in the ground, there's coming a day when the grave cannot hold us. So he's still greater. We need to view it from the viewpoint of eternity. If we view everything from the here and now, we'll make all our decisions about the here and now. 
But if we look to our hope, if we look to why we're living the way we live, if we look to the reasons we're making the decisions that we make, then what happens here becomes of secondary importance. As long as I can get there, that's primary importance. And when we get those around the wrong way, we'll start making decisions that can impact our eternity negatively. Amen. When we leave this life and go on into the next, the pressure is gone. There's no more tribulation, no more temptation, no more trial. The pressure is gone. And that earthen vessel that Paul wrote about, it's, we're still going to have an earthen vessel in a certain sense, but it's going to be glorified. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, This corruption shall put on incorruption. This mortality shall put on immortality. There's going to, it says, in a moment, we shall be changed. And that pressure will be gone. And everything that we struggle through in this life that seems to drag on endlessly will be a moment in time. Well, Sister Adriana, there'll be no more staggering around with dodgy knees. No more falling over and smacking your head on the wall. Hey, man, every time she rings me, I'm like, what's she hurt now? But you know something? That sister is one of the most faithful people in this building. But there will come a day when in just a split second of time there's going to be the sound of a trumpet. And, you know, for most of us that are able-bodied, we might not notice it as much, but for people that struggle with things, that transformation is going to be mind-blowing. Unhindered, unrestrained, no more tribulation, no more trial. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I want to be there on that day. Amen. It does not matter what pressure comes. And we all experience pressure. Doesn't matter how long you've been in church, you still come under pressure. Doesn't matter if you're the pastor of the church, you feel pressure. There's always things that will come against us, and we've got to keep going back to the source and plugging in again, saying, Lord, you know, when you've got a car, those, those of you that actually look after your cars, you're supposed to check the pressure in your tires every once in a while. And you know, Brother Craig's in transport, he can tell us the bigger the load, sometimes you've got to increase the pressure. Because there's a greater pressure pushing down, there needs to be a greater pressure resisting. Whatever comes against us, as long as we're tapped into the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Bless the Lord. Coming to a close. I've used this passage a few times recently, but there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 8 where, we won't turn there, I'll just paraphrase it, where the king of Syria has come down against the nation of Israel. And uh, he's planning to assault the nation of Israel and he gets his leaders together and he sets up a battle plan and he says, this is where we're going to attack. We're going to choose this location, this valley, this plain is going to be the battle. And, and somehow the, the word gets to the king of Israel and he's able to escape and the, the, the battle doesn't happen. And this happens repeatedly till finally the king of Syria says, all right, who's the spy? Which one of you guys is, is, is telling the enemy where the battle's going to be? He said, because this has happened not just once, but twice and three times. He said, somebody is telling tales. Somebody is a spy for the enemy. And one of his men says, it's not one of us. It's the man of God. It's the prophet Elisha. Every time we plan a battle, he goes and tells the king. And so like any wise king would, he decides to eliminate the problem. And so where is Elisha? And they say, oh, he's in Dothan. He's in this particular town. And so they go there during the night and they surround that town or village where the prophet is. And when they get up in the morning, the Bible says the prophet's servant 
I don't know what he was doing, probably just the manual tasks. He might have been fetching water. He might have been doing laundry. He might have been making toast and Vegemite. I don't know what he was doing. But when he got up in the morning and he looked over the city wall, he saw an, a vast enemy. And quickly he called the man of God and said, we're finished. It's all over. It's, it's too hard. The, the battle's lost. I'm overwhelmed. We're going to die today. Now, there's nothing spreads like a good case of panic. Have ever seen what happens when crowds begin to panic? People get hurt. And this man came back to the prophet, and he's hyperventilating. He's like, Master, Master, he's got a brown paper. He's got a paper bag. He's trying to control himself. And when Elisha manages to calm him down, he prays a little prayer, and he says, Lord, open my servant's eyes. And when the servant's eyes are open, he's able to see the heavenly host, the angelic beings that were there. And suddenly, the army on the other side of the wall doesn't look so terrifying because he's come to understand the prophet said, show him that those that are for us are more than those that are against us. Now, we're not likely to have our houses surrounded by enemy armies people to come in and storm the gates of the church at least I hope not but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world and my prayer today is God open our eyes to understand that whatever pressure comes against me whether it's broad or whether it's focused and, and sharp whatever pressure comes against me as I serve you help me to be reminded you're still greater you're still greater you're still greater Amen. There are sometimes I get messages from people saying, Pastor, you know, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? And I, sometimes at the end of that message, I'll say, remember, he's still greater. Does not matter what comes against me, he's still greater. Doesn't matter how much pressure this world puts upon me, he's still greater. Bless the Lord. Stand with me if you would this